Uh, my name is Andrew Jenkins, and I'm a member here at Scholar City, and I have the privilege this morning to read the sermon text. And so if you have a Bible, um, please feel free to flip uh, with me to Matthew 27. We'll be starting in verse 54. If you don't have a Bible with you, no problem. Feel free to use your smart device. We won't look at you and think you're texting. We will trust you. Um, but I'll be reading today uh, from Matthew 27, verses 54 through, make sure I get my numbers right, 61, and then we'll pick up in uh, Matthew 28, and I will read verses 1 through 10. Read with me. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. And when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite of the tomb. Now verses uh, chapter 28, 1 through 10. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to, the, to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. And he, as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took a hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. For the people of God. Uh, well, good morning. If you're new to Scarlet City, my name is Jay O'Brien, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here, and we're delighted to have you as our guest. And uh, happy Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And uh, I want to start off by just saying I love Easter Sunday. And I love Easter not simply because it's an excuse to show you that I know how to put a tie on. So I, I did this myself. It wasn't Megan. It was, it was all me. Um, and I love Easter Sunday not just because it's an excuse to eat Reese's eggs, which any other effort on other candy is just a waste. I want to tell you that. Jelly beans, don't, don't waste the sugar on that. Just go straight for the Reese's 
bunny eggs, or is that what they're called? I don't know, but they're amazing. Um, But I love Easter, not just because of those things, as glorious as they are, but Easter is an opportunity as a church to center ourselves on what is really center of the gospel, to remember what is at the core of our faith. Easter is an opportunity to be reminded about what the Bible, Jesus, the gospel, and life is all about, and that is the work of Jesus on the cross and resurrection. But Easter presents another opportunity as well. As uh, our friend Jenny, we were hanging out yesterday, and she asked, jokingly, um, Jenny's on the spot. She's like, oh boy, what is this? Um, You know, how are you feeling about Super Bowl Sunday? And we can joke about this because it's common for churches to see Easter Sunday as our Super Bowl, as the one special and epic moment of the year. Now, there are different ways to engage and participate in the Super Bowl. Many at the Super Bowl are watching, uh, but uh, they're the uh, what is sports and why should I care person. And when you're at a Super Bowl party and that's you, you don't really care about the game. You just want to watch what? The commercials. Well, I want to, I'm here for the commercials. I'm here for the party. Um, and the halftime show. Is there going to be another wardrobe malfunction? Why does the singer from Maroon 5 not have a shirt on? Right? These, are the, these are the things that sometimes we think about with the Super Bowl. If you're in the why does sports matter and what is sports about kind of person. Others of us we watch the Super Bowl, and you might be a fan of, of football, but your team's not in it, so you're like the, you'll find a reason to care because it's the Super Bowl person. And this is always me, because as a Bengals fan, I mean, you know, I cling to the resurrection, because it's like, God can do amazing things, but each year, I'm just disappointed as a Bengals fan. But I'll still watch the Super Bowl, I'll care, because, you know, football's interesting to me, and I'll, and I'll watch the game. Uh, others, though, if your fans, in, if your if your team is in the game, I mean, you, right? You have a little bit of a vested interest in this. You might not go to the party because you don't want to be the person pacing back and forth. You know, like your whole emotional health and the year hinges on on what's going to happen in a game, and so you watch it with a extra degree of intensity. Now, some people. Are at, they're actually involved in the game. There's like players and a team. And their approach to the game is drastically different. They're participants. And, and you can imagine what the coach is saying to the team. Every coach, every team on Super Bowl week, what, what are they saying? They're saying, look, don't be distracted. Don't be distracted by all the hype by the media, by the halftime show, by all that's surrounding the game. Remember, it's the same size field that they play on high school. It's the same rules throughout the rest of the year. We're the same team. Don't let the distractions shape your engagement in the game. Now, I share that. I don't care how you view the Super Bowl. (laughs) But many of us approach that same we're prone to be distracted in the same ways when it comes to the resurrection in life. We can have Easter Sunday and all the dress up and the eggs and all the things surrounding it and miss what it's really about. And tragically, and this can happen any Sunday of the year, 
any day of the year, but it can happen especially on Easter, we can miss that God's actually inviting us into the game. We're not here to merely be spectators. We're here to continue God's story of redemption today. So, how does the resurrection bring us into the game? How does the resurrection, how can the resurrection empower us to continue God's story of redemption today? I want to share three, three ways this morning. And it's, you know, we got lunch plans, and so I'm going to be brief, so buckle up. And, um, and just like we look at this, there's, prone, there's ways we're prone to look at the Super Bowl and life. There are some tendencies that we have that shape how we look at the resurrection, how we look at faith that prevent us from entering the story. And I want to look at those three this morning. We're in Matthew. We've been going through, this, through the Matthew. And this morning, we're going to look at, I'm going to take a step back and look broadly about what hap- what's happening in the text and how we, like the women who see Jesus and they take off running with the good news, how we can be running with the good news today. Three ways. Three temptations to avoid, three tendencies that we have, and three ways the resurrection brings us in. First, again, we're asking how the resurrection empowers us to join God's story of redemption. First, we must recognize a tendency. Our superficial tendency wants the resurrection without the crucifixion. There's a temptation that many of us have, all of us possibly on some level, and that's to relate to God in a superficial way. And anytime there's a cost, anytime there's pain, anytime there's death, the thought of crucifixion, we, we don't want to enter in. Uh, we're in the text in verse 61 of chapter 27. It says, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, were there sitting opposite the tomb. The women who had been following Jesus, these would have been disciples of Jesus, knowing him, his his life, they would have been here at his burial. And what are they doing there? They're not there waiting, wondering, is he going to come back to life? No, they're there grieving. They're there lamenting. And who is not at the tomb? Who is not present at the tomb grieving and lamenting? It's, it's the 12 disciples, the 12 men. Where are they? We know that they are hiding, afraid, they are afraid that what happened to Jesus is going to happen to them. And so they're afraid. They're hiding. They are afraid that the crucifixion story of Jesus will be their story. So they want to hide in fear. They, they aren't able to even lament. They follow Jesus when he was alive and teaching about the kingdom. And they didn't quite always understand. But now that he's dead, now there could be cost. And they're not sure they want to pay it. They're hiding. They were following Jesus in a superficial way. Superficial tendency. And many of us have this today. And You know, no one today would want to say, you know, I have a superficial faith. We might say, we might wear as a badge of honor, you know, I'm a skeptic. I'm a skeptic. We're going to talk about that in a minute. We might wear as a badge of honor, I'm a, I'm a little cynical. We'll talk about that this morning. But superficial, you know, that's like an insult. Someone says, you know, you're superficial. <laughs> no one wants to admit that. And so if, if we could just be honest a little this Easter morning, what are some signs of, of some of our superficial tendencies in faith? Uh, if you equate God's activity in the world with 
working to get you what you want, you might struggle with a superficial faith. When following God isn't fun and doesn't feel good, you want to then follow someone else, you might have a superficial faith. When you're unable to lament and confess and acknowledge some of the injustices and pains in our world, you might have a superficial faith. If you're unwilling to sit with someone else in their pain without trying to fix it, you might have a superficial faith. If you're uncomfortable talking about sin, if you expect God to change for you, and don't see how he wants you to change in light of his work, you might have a superficial faith. Man, we can all be there. Like the disciples, when it gets hard, running in fear. But there's good news, right? These same men that are hiding in fear will fearlessly, courageously enter into the pains of life transforming the whole course of human history. What was it? It was the resurrection. It was the resurrection. They see Jesus die and walk out of his grave. And their lives and the history of the world is transformed forever. The resurrection shows us the love and power of God, the genuine love and power of God. And because Jesus is willing to go to the cross and defeat death, we too, we too, we don't need to fear the crucifixion moments of our life. We don't need to fear, we don't need to cower in the painful moments of our story. Jesus conquered death so that death doesn't need to conquer your life. The resurrection empowers us to engage, to enter into the dark places, to lament What is wrong? Also, again, we're asking how the resurrection empowers us to join God's redemptive story. Another tendency that we have is skepticism. Our skeptical tendency wants more and more and more evidence in order to believe. Now, it's interesting. In verse 16 of chapter 28, Jesus appears. This is after the resurrection. He appears to his disciples. And look at what it says. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. I love this right here. Jesus raises from the dead, appears to his disciples, and some are worshipping and others are like, man, I don't know. I don't know what to make of this. There's some who are doubting, some who are skeptical. And they all were on some level. In fact, the Gospel of Luke in recording the women went and tell the disciples, and they didn't believe them. It says in in Luke, these words seemed to them to be some idle tale. (laughs) And they didn't believe. In fact, Peter has to go for himself to the tomb. He's like, man, no, this can't happen. Peter goes himself because he's skeptical, because he's doubting. Because anytime someone says that they saw a tomb empty where someone had died and, and saw someone resurrect, you don't believe what they're saying, right? I mean, if someone comes to you at lunch and says, you know, Jesus, he was forget, but my friend, Al, 
or John, he rose from the dead too. You're not going to, what's your response? You're going to say, what's the evidence? What's the evidence? Why would you believe someone who claimed to see someone come back to life? What's the evidence that we have? And we have some here in our text. What leads us to, cr- to trust someone's, so a, a witness is credible? You know, one thing you need in order to trust someone's testimony is you need forensic evidence. You need, like, what are some of the facts here that we can know? Matthew reminds us that there's an empty tomb. There's no body. Now, how does one deal with that, that there's no body in the tomb? Uh, the, the religious leaders, they wanted to perpetuate a myth, and so they said, you know, we need to tell people, and they told the guards, you need to tell people that the disciples came and took the body. That's a narrative we can create. His followers came, they stole the body, you were asleep, you didn't know. Now, there's a problem with that, and that is that... Um, the disciples, if, if they had broken Roman law and gone and stole a body and been perpetuating this myth, I mean, they could have been executed right away. So that's something someone could say, but that really is not a strong case. What people say today, what, what scholars might say today is, you know, um, they lost the tomb. They, they forgot where the tomb was. They're not sure where Jesus would have been buried and so the first Christians, they could have perpetuated this myth that he rose again because they didn't know where the tomb is. You, you'll hear this. But really, that, that's far-fetched thinking because when you look back at the ancient historical context, people then, a grave of a leader of Jesus' stature would have been venerated. People would have gone there to pay their respects. It would have been seen as a holy place. So that's... There's no chance they would have just forgotten where he was buried. In fact, Matthew gives us the name of the person in whose grave Jesus was buried. And here's why he gives the name. Joseph of Arimathea. You know why? Because you could go talk to him. There is forensic evidence. Also, what leads us to trust someone's testimony? You know, we know today that if one person is testifying in a court of law... Our memories uh, can be reshaped. You know, you, you can't always just trust one person's account. You need multiple eyewitnesses. There's not just one person who claimed to see Jesus. Not one person who just claimed to see the empty tomb. You had hundreds of people who claimed to have seen Jesus risen from the dead. It's why the Apostle Paul, whose whole life was transformed after encountering the risen Lord, he's giving a testimony to King Agrippa. And in this testimony in Acts chapter 26, it says, And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus, this person, uh, rose up to accuse him. And here's what Festus said to Paul. Paul recounts the resurrection, and here's Festus's response. He says, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. Paul, you're crazy. People don't die and come back to life. And I love Paul's response. Paul's response, he says, I am not out of my mind. I'm speaking the truth and rational words. For the king, and he looks at the king, for the king knows these things. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. 
Paul says, look, king, you know I'm not out of my mind because this was all public. This wasn't done in some corner, hidden from the view of everyone. Everyone, Jesus died a matter of public record and rose again. Hundreds of people saw it. This isn't some corner. This isn't me out of my mind. This is public. Multiple, hundreds of eyewitnesses. Well, another thing we could say, well, what would make an eyewitness credible? Uh, You would want to learn about their character. The character of the eyewitnesses. As Festus says, Paul's out of his mind. Like, you know, were the first Christians just out of their mind? This is the common response today among people. They will say, you know, Paul and the first disciples, they thought they saw the resurrection. They thought they did, but they couldn't have because we don't believe that could happen. You know, what's the character of these people? It's interesting, if you've been to Scarlet City and heard us talk about this, you've heard this before, but the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection in all of the accounts in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are women. Now, um, they wouldn't have amended that at their time. We do today, praise God. But they wouldn't have because a women's testimony was not allowed to be given in a court of law. If someone was fabricating a story... And coming together and say, okay, look, it's hard enough. We're saying he rose from the dead. What, what, can we, what can we, how can we communicate it in a way that people actually believe us? I have a suggestion. Let's make it women. No, that, right? Because people won't believe that in their time. I'm not saying we should, I'm not saying we should operate that way. That's how they operated then. They didn't trust women's testimony. Why would anyone fabricate it that way? Unless it was true. Unless it was true. What is the character of the eyewitnesses? We see women are testifying. Also, we see that these same people who claim to see Jesus, their whole, the whole trajectory of their life will change. The least likely people to believe God became human and rose again physically were the Jewish people. They had endured persecution. They had endured... Their view of God was so airtight that they wouldn't change it for anyone. Why in one generation would so many abandon their conviction that that had been passed down for generations? Why? We see the character of the eyewitnesses that their whole life and theology, and view of God would change, and they would be willing to die for it. The character of the eyewitnesses. Now, as skeptics, we can look back, and we can want more and more evidence. Yeah, you know there's an empty tomb, but yeah, there are eyewitnesses, but... And often what we have to be willing to acknowledge is just our own biases. In the same way that many in their time were biased against women... We can be biased today. We can be biased against women. We can be biased against first century Jews. You know, they're not as enlightened as we are. We've we've come to this place where these things don't happen. You know, we can be biased against others. The The people who saw Jesus' resurrection weren't American. They didn't speak English. 
Sometimes we don't trust people who don't come from our culture. What are our biases that prevent us from weighing the evidence fairly? Some of us are just biased against God. In our culture today, all the evidence could be there. And many historians acknowledge the resurrection, but many theologians today aren't able to because they're biased against God. Do you have a bias? You know, the resurrection, it invites you to look at the facts. The resurrection shows us the evidence of God's love and power. The the resurrection can unite your faith and your reason. Jesus says, see, he shows them. The resurrection is God's evidence that he is God and his grace and his love and his power is at work in the world. It's not just wishful thinking. It's not just a leap of faith. The resurrection can unite our faith and our reason. It is God's evidence of his love and power. We're asking, how does the resurrection empower us to join God's redemptive story? We've seen that to the superficial, you see God's genuine love and power. To the skeptic, you see the evidence of God's love and power. And lastly, the cynic. Our cynic tendencies, it it only trusts what's wrong. A cynic will trust the crucifixion, but it won't trust the goodness of the resurrection. A cynic looks at the cross and and says, what good could possibly come from this? What good could possibly come from death? What good could possibly come from this pain? Do you struggle with cynicism? All maybe you see and think of are the weeds of life. You can't see the beauty. You see the pains. You see the women running with good news and you just think, oh, come on. It's Easter Sunday celebrating. Oh, you know, it's just hype. It's just all. And we we struggle with cynicism often because we've been hurt. Because there was a time when we were able to be vulnerable, a time when, when we were able to have joy, and the just darkness and pains of life, they squash it out, and we, we stop caring. We stop thinking that there is any good in the world. And that's what the cynic does. It looks and it says, God, church, I, I see the wrongs of the church. Where is any good? I, see, I feel God abandoned me when I called out to him. What, he, he must not be there. Life has turned me upside down. I've been caught in the storm. There's no shore. And so we turn cynical. Now, what do we say to this? In Matthew, it is amazing. Again, looking at people's first encounter of Jesus, we see a diverse group. The first person to acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God is a centurion at the cross says, surely this is the Son of God. The centurion was an ethnic and religious outsider. We see Joseph of Arimathea, which in the Gospel of John, it talks about Joseph was a contemporary of Nicodemus. Joseph most likely would have been a Pharisee, a very wealthy man. 
He's a religious insider. We see women entrusted seeing Jesus. And they have been entrusted with the message. Women would have been outsiders due to their gender. We see the disciples afraid. What, what's the point? What a, because of the cross and resurrection, everyone, everyone can experience the love and power of God. Jesus' resurrection shows us the beauty of God's love and power. We see his goodness. We see his grace. That it doesn't matter who you know. It doesn't matter what you've done. That God's grace is good. And it can transform the narrative that we interpret the rest of life through. That God's grace and goodness is at work in the world and it is beautiful. And you might say, you know, I just can't believe it. I just can't believe it. I hear about a massacre at a church in Sri Lanka. People gathering to celebrate and worship God. And they're not going home. How, how, how can, in light of, of, of that kind of world in which we live in, move forward? You might be here this morning. You might say, you know, I, I just see so many wrongs in the church today. I see the division and the pain. You know, how, God can't be at work. If I could just press you, that perspective often illustrates our American privilege and supremacy. That we think just because it doesn't happen right here, right in our nation, it can't be good. It can't be true. The gospel, friends, is booming around the world. America might not be at the center of theological development and mission for the next generation, but that story's continuing. And it is being taken by many of the poor and disenfranchised just because you don't see God working right in front of you today doesn't mean his power isn't being flexed around the world. When you look and you see the beauty of God's news. That not all Muslims are terrorists. Many are coming to faith. We're reminded of God's power that the story continues. And as we close, we have the absolute joy and privilege of being a part. The women, they run. <laughs> the, the, the angel says to them, go and take the good news. Go and tell the disciples. And they are running. There are different ways of running. What, do you ever find yourself running? You're like, maybe you're like, man, I just avoid that. There's different reasons that we run. Some of us run because we're disciplined. It's good. I read an article, and if I run, my endor I, I feel better, and I lose weight. This is good. Right? Some of us are just disciplined. Some people run because you enjoy it. I used to enjoy running, but I can't really call myself a runner anymore because it's been like a year since I've done it consistently. It's sad. I, I, it's sad. But some people actually enjoy it. And if you don't enjoy running, you think they're crazy. You're like, what is your problem? You're running and smiling. I don't get it. Some people enjoy running. Some people are running in fear. You know, you can be running from someone chasing you. When I was growing up, I caused trouble. And there were a few times where I was running from the cops. 
We don't need to go in the details, but you know, that's, a, that's another way of running. Run, running from someone chasing you. And you know, this can represent life. Some of us are living the disciplined life. Some of us are living for joy. Some of us are living in fear. And the resurrection empowers us to run, to live with meaning and good news. That we are sent into the world, invited into God's story of bringing redemption. Because of the resurrection, we can run and we can live with the good news. That we do not need to be afraid of the pain. That we don't need to have just wishful thinking about it all. That we don't need to be overcome by the wrongs and pains of life. There is good news. Jesus is alive. And he invites us to take that message to the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and grace and its expression on the cross and resurrection and that you invite us into your story. And God, there are many reasons we're afraid to enter into the game. It's tempting to just sit back just observe the show. It's tempting to just stay in our skepticism. It's tempting to just be cynical and not be open to your grace. Father, I pray that the good news of the resurrection would be planted more deeply in our hearts and that, that we would be delighted to join these women and your church around the world that is taking the good news to the nations and our neighbors. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.